Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Authentic series, which walks through the book of James, discovering how we can be a growing and maturing Christian. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and let's go to the, uh, the book of James. Let's go to the book of James tonight, and we're going to be in James chapter number four. James chapter four tonight, and we have been, uh, we've been studying out um, real or mature, authentic uh, Christianity, and we've been going through this study, understanding, of course, uh, James, he's writing uh, to mostly believers, Jewish believers, who, of course, Brian, it's okay, you can just control it from back there. Uh, He had been uh, writing to mostly Jewish believers who uh, many of them had just recently been saved, had just recently trusted Christ. Brian, I said that, and I just found it. Micah, bring me that iPad right there. Thank you. You've been a big help to me. All right, now let's try it. Uh, Anyway, he had been, uh, uh, James had been writing to believers who... Uh, probably had only been saved, many of them, for uh, it's likely maybe five years or less. Um, Some of them saved maybe a little bit longer or knowing Christ a little bit longer, but of course, the, uh, the entire book of James is, is written. Um, it's the oldest New Testament book that we have, but it's written, I love it because it's written from a pastor to his people. Uh, that's, that's really what the book of James is. And so for me as a pastor, uh, I, can, I can sense the, uh, Pastor James's heart in just really trying to help his people and encourage them. And of course, help them through a, a very trying time. And uh, I know as, as a pastor, one of the responsibilities is, is to help lead people uh, through hard times and difficulties. And no doubt, they were going through and experiencing difficulties on a, a whole different level than what we have uh, ever experienced now. And I'm, I know that there are Christians around the world who are facing persecution like they did. I'm thinking of, uh, of our, our missionary friend over in India. And of course, Amos who can't really be in India and yet still has church virtually with people there. I talked to him a couple weeks ago. They have over five to 700 people uh, online every week watching their services and the largest majority of them are in India. They're seeing people saved every week and receive Christ. And what a, what a great thing to see. Uh, but you know what? The Christians over there, they're facing persecution. And we, we don't know a lot about persecution, we think we get persecuted because someone shut a door in our face out door knocking. You know, man, I'm suffering for Jesus today. And uh, you know what? That's nothing compared to what other believers are going through, many of them, and in uh, uh, many of our Middle Eastern countries losing their life. Of course, uh, uh, North Korea and all the things that are taking place there for Christians. And yet, uh, the gospel continues moving forward. And that's exactly what took place when James was writing. He's writing to these believers saying, hey, no matter your trial, you can grow in the Lord, you can be mature in the Lord. And last week, the last two weeks, we've learned that through every trial, you can have the wisdom of God. 
And no matter what you face, uh, James chapter one and verse number five, if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men. And then in James, the whole, the whole chapter three, James begins to expound upon that and saying, hey, listen, you need to recognize that if you operate based upon your wisdom, you're not gonna find any help or any health as you go through. But we can understand what we saw last week. Pastor Carlos preached a great message, James chapter three and verse number 17, that the wisdom which is from above is is first pure and peaceable and gentle and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruit and without partiality and without hypocrisy. And uh, of course, verse 18, that the fruit of the righteous is sown in peace of them that make peace. And last week, we learned about this, this concept of walking in God's wisdom. No matter what our trial is, I'm thankful that God always has wisdom for us. God always has help for us as we walk through our trials. And so, as we jump into uh, chapter number four tonight, we're going to be asking ourselves the question, what is driving you? That's the question tonight, what is driving you? And I believe we're going to see James talk about this subject of what is driving your life. As we get started tonight, you and I know that uh, there are times in life when it seems that life moves faster. I know that as I've aged, as I've gotten a little bit older uh, that I've recognized that life just moves fast. You know, remember those of you that are, are uh, um, more, more uh, seasoned, that's the phrase we use, trying to think of it, uh, you're more seasoned. You know, everybody, when you're kids, right, it's just like, I wish, time, I wish time would go by faster. I wish I could be older. And then you become a teenager and still kind of thinking that. Then you hit your 20s, and it seems like in your 20s, you know, life is kind of at the pace it should be. And then once you start getting hidden into your 30s and above, you just look back and you're just thinking, man, time flies by because you experience a lot more of uh, uh, the different major points in life and seeing kids and grandkids and then great grandkids. You just see those things. And next week, we're going to talk about how fast life speeds by. But I bring all that up to say I'm hitting one of those points, one of those milestones where it seems like life is just flying by. In a week from tomorrow, this is crazy to me, a week from tomorrow, Dennis turns 16. So my oldest will be, will be 16. That is mind-boggling to me. It, I feel like it was just yesterday that he was, I mean, he still acts like a baby sometimes, but I feel like it was just yesterday that he was a baby. And, uh, and we, you know, we were uh, talking last night and pulling up videos and looking at the kids when they were younger. And man, it just seems like life just flies by. And next Monday, uh, being 16, you know what happens most people when you hit 16 is you're interested in getting that license, getting your driver's license. And Dennis, of course, he has done... Uh, <clears throat> He's done driver's ed, and during driver's ed, they require you to, as a parent, to drive with them every day through driver's ed, and then they encourage you, hey, if you want your kid to, uh, to drive well, let them drive. Well, this has now presented a frustrating case for me. <laughs> because now they're, you know, and it started about a year ago when he hit 15, that now the discussion is not, hey, kids, get in the car, let's go. The discussion is, hey, kids, get in the car, let's go. Hey, dad, can I drive? Uh, no, I want to make it to where I'm going. And we joke, but you know what? Dennis is a good driver and he's done well. But now we have this, we have this discussion almost every time we get in the car. Who's driving? And really, the winner is the person who gets the keys first. 
So if I get the keys first, I'm driving. If he gets the keys first, he's driving. You know, that discussion of who's driving, you hit that when your kids hit 16 years old. You probably might have that if you're in a family where a mom and dad drive. I know we'll be on a trip and it's like, hey, who wants to drive? Well, I'll drive. No, no, I'll drive. I'll take care of it. You rest. No, it's okay. I'll drive. I'm fine. You know, no, we're both falling asleep. Let's just stop and get a hotel. Uh, But you know what? The discussion of who's going to drive. Tonight, I want to ask you a question is who's going to drive your life? What's going to drive your life? Because every day, every day as you and I go through the day, something, someone drives your life. And tonight, I believe that James helps us with this discussion and understanding or answering what is going to drive our life, who is going to drive our life each and every day. And so I want to start tonight. We're going to cover 12 verses, but I want to just read one as we start. So let's stand together. James chapter number four. James chapter four. And we're going to begin with one verse. And that's James chapter four and verse number six. We read these words. But he, God, he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Would you read that verse with me? Would you read that with me out loud? Ready, begin. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Don't miss that phrase in verse number six where it says, but he giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. I'm gonna ask you a question tonight. There's really two points to the message. The third point is the challenge. So if we hit the third point, you know uh, we're we're almost done. So we'll hit that about eight o'clock. Now, two questions tonight. You have the opportunity and you and I every day, it's a very really an elementary uh, message in the sense of just uh, um, a very basic truth, that every day we choose between the driver of pride or the driver of humility. Every day you choose that you're in control of your life or you're gonna be surrendered and let the Holy Spirit control your life. Every day you choose if you're going to be driven by me or be driven by a a humility and a humble spirit with the Lord. And that's what we're going to look at tonight out of James chapter four, what's driving your life, pride or humility, and have that challenge tonight. So let's pray, and then we'll get right into our study. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you just ask God to help you tonight? Ask him to speak into your heart. And would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you, I'm going to respond to you tonight. Dear Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for the music today, tonight, this morning. Lord, it's been a blessing to my heart, and I'm so thankful that uh, you are so good into our lives and that you give so much. I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to gather together tonight, and Lord, uh, to look into your word. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray, Lord, that as we go through these next uh, few minutes together, that you would challenge us and that you would help us and encourage us to see Uh, really the importance of humbling our heart before you and how we do that. And Lord, I pray that you would just encourage and strengthen our walk with you tonight. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You go ahead and be seated. James chapter number four, I believe James comes to the passage tonight 
And I, I'm going to, at the end of the message, I'm gonna to try, to, try to connect, uh, not try to, I'm going to connect the, uh, the, the, the theme of the message to the context of the passage. But tonight, James introduces this idea of two drivers in our life or two controlling factors in our life. The first one is the driver of pride the driver of pride. I want you to look at the Bible, if you would. Let's look at verse number one, down through verse number five, and read these verses. Here's what James says. He says, from whence or from where come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your own lusts, of your lusts that war in your members? You lust and you have not. You kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your own lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? We see this word lust in those phrases a few times in a a few different ways. But in this passage, the, the word lust or the word lusts It means the desire to please. It's from a a Greek word which means desires to please. James also uses a different word which means to have or to crave after or to turn to. And what James does in these five verses is he points to the fact that all all of conflict in life all of the frustrations in life, all of the wars and fightings, all the disagreements, they're all focused and rooted in selfishness. It's a concern for self first and fulfilling what you want. And James proceeds to, he proceeds to teach a few things about the driver of pride and where pride takes you. Number one, I believe that you can see that He says the driver of pride, pride ends in destruction. Pride always ends in hurt. With pride, if pride is your driver, you will always come to the destination of hurt. Verse one, from whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Here's what James does is he pulls out war, which we all know the tragedy of war, But I want you to notice the second thing that he says. He doesn't say from whence come just wars. He said from whence come wars and fightings where? Look at verse number one. Everybody grab your Bible and look down there. We're gonna do a little Bible study. It says from whence come wars and what? Fighting among you, in your members. There's, There's a fight going on in you. Do you see that there? From whence come wars and fightings among you. James does this. He says, hey, we, know, we all know, and I'm, I'm going to say it tonight this way, that we all know that war, I mean, actual war ends in destruction right now, every day, every day. You're, you're, if you pay attention to the news just a little bit, and that's, I try not to be into it too much because I get frustrated. I don't want to, but uh, I want to I know what's going on. And so every now and then I'll open up a news app and, and kind of read some things. Or if you're on Facebook or, or Twitter or social media or anything like that, you're going to see any social media out there where we're just watching tragedy unfold before our eyes in Ukraine. 
We're, we're watching tragedy unfold before us. And of course, I think you could probably connect a lot of Bible prophecy to what we're seeing, but that's a different message or lesson in and of itself. But man, just the, the tragedy of war is horrific. And we have families in our church who are, who are uh, directly affected by this. We have people who I spoke with one family this morning that they have aunts and uncles and family still in Ukraine. And um, uh, one of the coffee shops I go to, one of the young ladies, her, her grandparents live there and all her aunts and uncles live there. And, and this last week, she, with tears in her eyes, was saying, yeah, I just, I don't know what's going on. I'm just praying for them and I'm heartbroken. Well, what, what is that? That's the, that's the result of war. And war ends in destruction, but here's what, Paul, here's what James is saying. What's at the root of that? What's at the root of war? Pride. But then he also says, but also fightings among you. Things that go on in your life, fightings in your life, and, and disagreements and contention in your life. James says, hey, it always ends in destruction. Isn't it interesting that he compares fighting among you and war? And the end result is the same thing. It's destruction. When we let pride drive our life, we, we always end up at the result, the destination of destruction. Pride causes a lot of disaster. You look at war, it's impossible to determine all of the wars that the world has seen. But statistically, the wars that they know about, they determined that at least 108 million people have been killed in wars in the 20th century alone. They say that estimates for the total number uh, killed in wars throughout all of human history would range from 150 million, get this, all the lives that war has cost would range from 150 million to 1 billion. They say somewhere in there, is the loss of life from war. Hey, I don't know about you, but I would agree with James to say that war ends in destruction. But where does it start? Pride. Why does a war happen? Usually because of pride. Conflict happens because of pride. Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride shall bring him low. Proverbs 13, 10, we say this one often, only by pride cometh contention. The same is true in your life and in my life that pride causes a lot of disaster. I, I hate this, but I, I will tell you that there's tons of people that I've sat and counseled and because of pride, they get their lives in a mess. And pride ruins marriage. Pride demo, uh, uh, it just demolishes friendships. Pride, it can ruin a family. It can ruin kids can ruin parents. Pride can ruin a workplace. I'm reading a business book right now. Many of you know I like leadership stuff, uh, but this book I'm in right now is just all about leadership. And at the, uh, one of the chapters I just finished this last week, one of the things that has led to the demise of many of the multi-million million dollar companies in our country was pride. And this is written by a lost person probably. Just saying they just wanted more for themselves. They just wanted more gain for them. What is that? That's pride. Pride always ends in destruction. James helps us with that. What else does pride do? Pride hinders our prayer. Do you see it? Verse number two. 
Verse number two and verse three, it says, you lust and you have not, you kill and you desire to have and cannot obtain, you fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and you receive amiss. You receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. You know what James is doing? He is wanting to the reader to see that the desire to please self and pride, it stops us from going to God like it should. It hinders our prayer life because we become so focused upon what we want. We don't pray, God, thy will be done. We pray, God, my will be done. And you ask and you receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss. You ask erring away, getting away, diverted away from what God really wants. And no doubt every one of us can think about times in our lives when our prayer was a selfish prayer. I, in this study, of course, I've been referring back to our uh, um, daily in the words that we, that we did last year. I forget what we call strength for the day. That's what we call them, strength for the day on, on Facebook. And we went through the book of James in the beginning of last year. And so I've referred back to that a little bit. And, and uh, I looked up where we did this lesson and it was April 21st and 22nd of last year. And I remember that I said in the, in the challenge, I listened to myself, I didn't remember, and I listened to myself say it, that during that time, I was reading this passage and I was studying this out in my own personal life. And the, the one thing that stood out to me was the Lord convicting me about our building. And the challenge was, Dennis, are you praying in my life? Dennis, are you praying that God would give you money for a building so that your, the church could be seen better? Or are you praying that God would give money for the building so that I could be seen better? Like God saying that to me. Like, Dennis, do you want the church to be seen better or do you want God to be seen better? And I, I fell under conviction last April as I read through that because of this passage, you receive not because you ask amiss because you wanna ask that you might receive it upon your own lust. Your desire is to please self, but God's desire is to please him. And so there are times in our life that we, we allow our own pride to hinder our prayer. And I, I'm not saying tonight anything about our building stuff. I'm just trying to use that as a comparison to say, you know what, we have a selfish, mo we can have a selfish motive in, in prayer or we can always have a God-focused motive, which we'll see in just a minute. So what does pride do? Well, pride, it, it has destruction. It ends in destruction. It hinders our prayer. Thirdly, pride separates us from God. Hey, pride separates us from God. Notice verse number four. James says this, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. You know what James is doing? It's crazy. He is likening pride to spiritual adultery. He says you are committing spiritual adultery when you allow your pride, the mindset of this world, to be your friend and to guide you. You are joining hands with the, com the, the, the uh, culture and the thinking of this world. And to join hands with the world and with God, it is not possible. You're being a friend of the world and you're putting something before God. You are picking sides and you're allowing pride to drive your life. And no doubt, we understand that pride, it separates us. We see this a little bit later when the verse we read, God resisteth the proud. He resists, he pushes away. Pride separates us from God. Solomon wrote it this way, everyone that is proud in heart is, in a, is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. That phrase, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished, was always uh, kind of, it's kind of a tricky phrase. 
What is it? Well, if you're proud in heart, you're an abomination to the Lord. God's saying that pride is an abomination. And even though you belong to him, there's gonna be consequences for pride. Even though, even though you may belong to the Lord and be a child of God, when you, when you are led by pride, it's gonna end in destruction and it, it hinders your prayer and it separates you and I from God. Proverbs eleven twelve. 12, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. <clears throat> pride has always been something that has been huge in every generation and every culture. The famous Greek philosopher Aristotle, he said this about the Greeks and their pride. He made this statement, the great Greek virtue is the refusal to tolerate any insult and the readiness to strike back. This is 2,000 years ago. Aristotle wrote that. You know what that is? That's pride. Culture says, get yours. Culture says, you run your life. Culture says it's all about you. It's all about what you can get. It's all about what you can accomplish. It's all about you finding the happiness that you want in this life and accomplishing what you want to. And it's the driver of pride. But here's what James is doing. James is saying to this culture who James is writing at a time when this, was going, when this philosophy was there. And James says, hey, pride always ends in destruction. Pride hinders your prayer life. It keeps you from a resource in God because you're praying in pride. And pride is likened unto spiritual adultery. You are putting something before God when you are allowing the driver of pride. But on the contrary, James points then secondly to the driver of humility. The driver of humility. Notice the verses, James chapter four, verse six, down through verse number 10. We read these words, but he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and be purified and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. I love verse number six because it says this, but he giveth more grace. He giveth more grace. In the first five verses, James builds a case against pride. It's like he's saying, hey, the flesh is strong and it's fighting within you and it, it's, a, it's a war amongst your own members. It's a war that's going on within you and you can see even in verse number five, do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? Hey, it is built in your flesh. It is built in our, our uh, sinful flesh that we are born with, this idea of pride. But I love verse number six because it's like, but... You have something better in you. Do you see it? Verse number six, but he giveth more grace. You know what that means? That means God's grace is stronger than the pride that is driving the flesh. That's what he's saying. It's like, hey, pride is this great, huge thing in your life, but God's grace is better. God's grace is bigger. And so then he gives the challenge, so humble yourselves. 
And he really, uh, he gives, if I were to rearrange this message, it would be kind of keys to how to have humility, how to allow humility to drive your life. And Paul gets into this idea of where do you get when, when, uh, when humility is the driver? Well, humility, number one, it receives grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but you want that more, hey, you want that more grace? Do you want strength to endure even in, in hard trials? Hey, uh, church at Jerusalem that is scattered abroad because of, of all of the uh, persecution you've been facing, do you want grace to go through those challenges? Humble your heart and watch God give grace into your life. That word grace there is affiliated with our, the word grace in our theme verse of 1 Corinthians 15, 10, the idea that God gives strength. He gives an overwhelming grace, uh, undeserving strength into our life. God resists the proud. He, he stiff arms the proud. He pushes back the proud, but he gives great grace, more grace, greater grace, an enabling, strengthening grace of God. He gives it into our life when we simply humble ourselves. Think about these Hebrews, these Jewish people that were under persecution and all of those things that we have mentioned before. They were facing a lot of rejection. They were facing a lot of hurt and a lot of mistreatment. And unfortunately, many of them, like us, when we go through hard times, pride Pride becomes something that drives our life in times of trial. In times of trial, we have this mindset of, how can I get out of this? What can I do? We have this mindset of, God, why is this happening to me but not to them? And we compare ourselves. And no doubt they were facing that. No doubt they were facing some of these if I can say it, these distractions. And James writes to them and say, if you would humble yourselves, you'll recognize that God gives grace to the humble. The word giveth, when it says that he giveth grace or he giveth more grace, the word giveth there, it means to give profusely. You know what it means? It means to pour on. It's like if, if I had a bucket of water and I, I pulled my son up here in this bucket of water and I just said, hey, ask me for some water. Just humble your heart and ask me for water and just say, dad, can I get some water? That's all I'm asking you to say. And he says, dad, I'm, I want some water. Dad, will you please give me some water? And I take that whole bucket and I just start pouring a little bit and then I just go, Bush! that's the idea of the word giveth right there. I think it's a really cool phrase. It's a really cool thought. And, and Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter four that God doesn't, he doesn't just meet needs according to small riches. God pours it out. It's the same thing with giving. Luke chapter six, as I give to the Lord, God says, my shovel's bigger than yours. I will bless, I will work. It's the same thing with humility. If I will humble myself, humility receives grace. Peter said it this way, be clothed in humility because God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Just like we would get up and get dressed every day, we should get up and be clothed with humility. I see that humility receives grace, but I also see in our passage that humility sees victory. 
Humility sees victory. Where do we see it? Look at verse number seven. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Hey, since God blesses and gives grace, submit yourselves to God and then resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, every one of us need to catch this thought tonight, the fact that when we submit to God, when we humble ourselves to God, God gives us the strength to resist temptation. He gives us the strength to resist the, the devil and his demonic forces and the, 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 the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Lord gives us the grace to resist that, and we see victory in our life. But when pride is at work in our life, there the uh, angelic demonic forces of the being sit applauding, cheering us on. Yeah, you be worried about you. Because the devil knows that when I'm driven by pride, God resists that. But he also knows that when I humble myself before the Lord, when I seek God and when I submit myself to God, that God gives me the strength to resist the devil. And the promise is he'll flee from you. Do you know why the devil flees? He doesn't flee, he doesn't flee because of your strength. He, flee because, he flees because of the strength that is enabling you to resist him. It all goes back. James chapter four, verse number six, the very first part, but he giveth more grace is the key to all 12 verses that we read tonight. He giveth more grace. Humility is me submitting myself to the Lord, saying, God, I can't do this, but I need you to help me. God, I humble my life before you and my heart before you. And when we do that, the devil knows he can't stand up against God. I wonder what kind of victories God would give in our life of every, every person tonight if humility was consistently practiced. It's a promise to the Old Testament saints, to the people of Israel. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Of course, written to the, to the Hebrew people, but the application still available to us today. The key, the key for finding God's blessing and working in my life starts at humility. Humility receives grace. Humility sees victory. But thirdly, humility invites the presence of God. Notice verse eight and nine, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. In verse number seven, we discover that God resists or stiff arms the proud. But in verse number eight, we see that the opposite is also true, that humility invites the presence of God to guide your life. Humility is me drawing nigh to God. And James tells us when you live with humility toward God and when you live with humility toward others, when you allow humility to drive your life, God is going to draw close to you. And I've seen it pictured as two people standing on an opposite end of a platform. And as each one takes a step, the other one takes a step and they get closer. But I don't believe that. I believe it's more like the prodigal son. I believe that drawing nigh to God is more like the prodigal son in this sense that instead of it's like I take a step and God takes a step, the fact is that when I humble my heart before the Lord, God, I submit and I need you. And God, I want your presence to guide my life today. And God, I humble my heart before you and I take that step. It's like the father of the prodigal son that runs to his son. 
Man, God just wants us to be humble before him. It doesn't, there, there's nothing in there about, hey, you better make sure that you, you fulfill step one, two, and three. It's just, hey, submit yourself to God. Humble your heart before the Lord. Draw nigh to God, and what will he do? He will draw nigh to you. The psalmist said it this way, it is good for me to draw near to God. Why did he say that? Because he knew, even the psalmist knew, the Old Testament saints knew, it is good for me to be close to the Lord and to submit myself unto him. The word draw nigh means to come close. As we read verse, the rest of verse eight and into verse number nine, all of these phrases speak toward an unmanufactured humility. Because we can manufacture a lot of characteristics, but James is simply writing to them, let the don't, don't put on a front. Don't manufacture things. Let humility be real in your life. Be right with God and let God give into your life that which you need. We have a tendency often to treat sin lightly and we have a tendency to treat pride lightly. And yet in these passages, uh, James is saying this, let your laughter be turned to mourning. He's simply saying, hey, let humility affect every area of your life. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, the word of God says this, that a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. You know what God does? He doesn't resist humility. He rejoices in it. Humility tonight, it it does some things for us. Humility receives grace. We get to the destination of strength from God. When we're driven by humility, we see victory. When we're driven by humility, we invite God's presence. And then lastly tonight, when we invite or are driven by humility, we find that humility discovers honor. Verse number 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. That phrase lift you up, it means exalt, to hold up, to honor. Proverbs 29, 23 says this, a man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. It was Jesus who said in James chapter number, or Matthew uh, chapter 23 and verse number 12, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, when you and I humble ourselves before the Lord, we don't know what that exaltation or that honor looks like. It may not be an honor before men or before the people in our life, but we know that God says, when you humble yourself before me, I will lift you up. I will give you what you need. I will exalt you. I will hold you up. I will honor you. Even if we are never honored in this life in the eyes of man, but we are honored in the life of, in the eyes of God, I would say the humility was worth it. God blesses humility. And so tonight, James writes about this driver, the driver of pride or the driver of humility. But I want you to notice tonight, as we close out, the last two verses and what James says and the challenge that he gives, verse 11 and verse number 12. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, he speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. And who art thou that judgest another? When I look at these verses, I 
I find myself at the same place we were at this morning in Ephesians chapter number three where James is saying, so how does this affect you? These two verses is James saying, all right, you got pride and you've got humility. Don't worry about judging everybody else around you. There is one lawgiver, there is one judge, there's one person that has the right to say who's living by pride and who's living by humility, and that's God. So what's the challenge? The challenge is you worry about you. The challenge is, which is the driver for you? Which one's going to drive your life, pride or humility? It's a call to action. It's as if James is saying, don't worry about anybody else around you. You judge your own heart. Who's driving your life? Because we can often hear something like this or hear any message and we can think, wow, that really applies to so-and-so. Wow, that really applies to this situation that these people are facing. But here's what James is saying. Hey, this needs to apply to you. And no doubt these believers, and I think it's a very interesting when you, any, anywhere in the scripture, when you take the scripture and you drop it into the context of what was taking place then, man, it just comes to light and it comes to life. And you think about all of the persecution that they're going through. Here's my mind. In my mind, I'm thinking that there's some believers in Jerusalem. They're really struggling because Jerusalem, the persecution was fierce and it was hitting hard. But because of the dispersion, the diaspora that took place and all the persecution, because of that, there were believers that moved out. And so now you have believers in Jerusalem that are still under the the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and they're under that, that rule and that thumb and they're just facing persecution every day and losing their houses and and livestock and family and all of that type of stuff. But then you have this other Hebrew Christian that he, he packed it up. Man, when everything hit, he just packed it up and he went and he went to, he, he went to Ephesus. He went to Antioch and Pisidia. He went somewhere up north. He, that, that guy, he just got up and he left. And you know what's going on up there? There's persecution, but not like it is in Jerusalem. It wasn't like it was there. And you could probably have a believer in Jerusalem that's going, why does this happen to me and not them? You have a believer in Jerusalem saying, I'm still in Jerusalem. I didn't leave. I didn't flee. And they're finding some self-righteousness in the fact that they stuck around when other people left, when other people quit. They're the ones that kept it up and they're there maybe in Jerusalem thinking that we have to know they had to be fighting that temptation of that selfish look to say, why, why is God, why are you doing this to me and not to that family? They left. And so there's no doubt this comparison that was taking place. James had to have known that it was taking place or else he wouldn't have written this with the written it writing this. He wouldn't have written this with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He wouldn't have done that. But the Holy Spirit inspired James to write it. Hey, who do you think you are to judge someone else? There is one lawgiver. There is one judge. So who's driving your life? I think that's a good call to us tonight, uh, who is driving our life. And hopefully tonight we would respond by saying, you know what, God, I want to judge my own heart and I want humility to drive it. It was John Bunyan who said, he who is already lying down need fear no fall. Hey, the, the humble believer, the humble believer doesn't need to worry about judging everybody else and what's going on with everybody else because we're only... We're only focused on humbling our own heart before the Lord. 
I feel like James is really trying to just give direction and help to his church and to his people. He's already written to them about wisdom, wisdom and trials. He's already written to them about uh, as they go through trials, don't look at other people through the lens of, of their righteousness and things of that nature. And James has just really tried to help people. But I think in this chapter, I think it's really, it's like James with a broken heart just says, listen, I know you're going through it. I know you're hurting. But in your hurt, don't be driven by pride because God promises he'll strengthen you if you'll humble your heart before him. I just want to say tonight, I don't know that, I don't know what is going on in your life. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what situations you and I might face this week. But I do know that God he giveth more grace. He gives strength for the journey. He gives grace for trials. But that grace is not found when we're driven by pride. That grace is found when I'm driven by humility. And this is the lifelong controversy that we all face. What is gonna drive my life today? This week, I'm gonna choose, do I want the driver of, of pride? This Pride, it says, hey, let me drive. And when pride drives, it says, I will immediately gratify you. I will meet an immediate gratification. But what we don't realize is that gratification wears off and the destinations that we arrive at is destruction, hindered prayers, and being separated from God. Humility says, let me drive. You're gonna have to resist the flesh and some desires but I promise you'll appreciate the end result. And when we allow humility to drive, we arrive at the destination of receiving grace and strength. We arrive at the destination of seeing victory. We arrive at the destination of inviting God's presence. And we arrive at the destination of discovering God, giving honor. Humility, when applied to any relationship, brings blessing. And the fact of the matter is this, pride is resisted by God, but humility is embraced by God. And so I wanna ask you this week, what's gonna drive your life? Hey, tomorrow you're gonna wake up and you're gonna choose to be driven by pride or to submit your heart to the Lord and say, God, I want you to lead me. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh to you. I hope tonight that we'd be challenged, that we'd be encouraged. Lord, I don't wanna be driven by pride. I wanna be driven by humility this week. I wanna receive the strength that you have set aside for me that comes as I seek your presence. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.